welcome to the CBGS podcast brought to you by Aspen Waits. Here again with Mr. Paul Waite up in Drudio's. Drudio's Studios. <laughs> Drudio's Studios. And we have an. Um, you okay, Paul? All really, baby? How very nice of you to ask me how I am. Oh, I know. I've, been, I've noticed the last few episodes I've been just going poof, straight in, and I haven't even. Oh, we said, like straight in. Hello, how are you then? Um, how are you? We've this been week? told to be more professional, so yes. we're not, I'm not going to indulge you. Ah, okay. Is that professional, Drew? <laughs> Cool beans. Well, w- this week we are getting into um, an episode about intellectual property. Mm. Mm. So um, it's quite pertinent at the moment in um, Aspen Waitland because uh, there's there's new new things on the horizon to do with intellectual property, which we'll get to later in the episode. But um, we're going to pick Paul's brain <laughs> about um, about what it, what is intellectual property and how how it's used in business and. Um, what it means, and he's looking at me with some funny faces here. <laughs> God, they were interesting questions, weren't they? What do you think it is? Um, what I think it is, uh, so it's things that you create um, within right. your company. Creates brilliant words. Yeah, creates a key word, I reckon. Oh, okay, yeah. So um, something you create, something you create. So like an idea wouldn't be intellectual property. Yeah, it would be. Yeah, until it's actually in some kind of physical form. No, it's not physical. That's the whole point, isn't it? It never becomes physical. Oh, so it's so I, I kind of thought I was thinking about your book, and I was thinking like the idea for the book wouldn't be intellectual property, but the actual book itself, with all the words written down and everything, would be would be intellectual property. Oh gosh, obviously I'm not an intellectual property lawyer. So Drew, <laughs> as always, in his uh, thirst for knowledge, asks very interesting questions. So, um, so. I would have said the idea was intellectual property. Okay. And the creative part of the book is also my intellectual property. Mm. The book itself, just because it's a book, doesn't make it intellectual property necessarily. Mm. It's the creativity behind the book that is oh, okay. the intellectual property. Ah, nice. And so, 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 so like things like um, like your brand or designs and, yeah, and, yeah, exactly, and things yeah. like that as well. So the, the whole point of intellectual property is the opposite of what you said. It's so it's something intangible that has been created. Something intangible. Intangible. That, intangible. Tangible means touchy feely can. Touchy feely. Yeah, touch that table. That's tangible. Yeah. If we were talking about a virtual table, that would be an intangible table, wouldn't it? Mm, like, so, so like brands an, and concepts and patents and trademarks and copyrights ah, and, and like an invention and, yes yeah, so the, the, yeah the thought process behind the invention yeah ah well okay and um the actual machine itself wouldn't be intangible would it mm, or, yeah that would be like an asset <laughs> if you like, yeah if you like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, wouldn't, it wouldn't be intellectual, it wouldn't be intellectual property anyway no oh okay and um <laughs> Uh, I, I was doing a little bit of research, and, and there's there's nice. two there's two types of um, protection, intellectual property like kind of protection that you can have. Or oh, there's there's more than two types, yeah. but um, like uh, stuff that you automatically get, uh, or like copyright is autom- you're automatically protected apparently, okay. and, and then um, and then things like um, that you have to apply for. So you don't have to apply for copyright. But you you have to apply for a um, a patent. No, I suppose you defend your copyright, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, um, yeah. That's what I, I was kind of saying. Like, you, you, your cop, your copyright is is something automatic that that is is like a right that you have. Um, 
that you're... But it's all to do with things like prior art and published dates, isn't it? Mm, mm. You wrote it first and stuff. Yeah, so if you've, if you've published <laughs> it, then you, you can obviously see that you've done that. So it's out like in a, the world, that's what it's all to do with. Yeah, but the, so, but the things like patents were, were, were a process that you'd have to apply for, for a patent. Um, or patents, yeah. Patents, sorry. Oh, you can uh, say both. Oh, okay. Oh, pa- patent. And... Um, yeah, so I was gonna gonna ask about the the, the benefits of, of of patenting your or. Gosh, that um, is a hell of a question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is it funny? I mean, titters like a. Anyway, um, well, that's quite an interesting question because you know we sort of gone from uh, blue sky to what you know, what is intellectual property and then what is a patent? Ah, okay. Without sort of going through the whole whole um, you know how how do we get to that in the first place, but. So on the basis you asked me the question, we've done that. Um, so um, many businesses choose not to patent their intellectual property. Um, it's a conscious decision. Uh, there can be any reasons why you don't choose to patent something. Um, cost, um, culture. Um, of course, to some extent, defending a patent is is what you might call a day in court. Mm. You know, just because you've got a patent doesn't necessarily mean that people are going to stop doing things. In fact, um, there've been many, many cases of people infringing other people's patents, haven't there? Or, or, or one, a good one for you. Uh, this, this is this is a, a little story that makes me very cross, actually, but uh, feeds nicely into your world. The Verve, bittersweet. Symphony, yeah. They were sued by the Rolling Stones <laughs> for, um, you know, the yeah, so the Rolling Stones successfully, unfortunately, successfully uh, asserted that that was taken from one of their songs, and uh, I think I'm right in saying a hundred percent of all the royalties of that record went to the Rolling Stones. Wow. Which I thought was shameful, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, but that's, so that's, that's intellectual property. Mm. The uh, the riff, or whatever it was, mm. was the Stones' intellectual property. They said, we wrote that first. Yeah. And the court said, yeah, we agree with you. Wow. Poor old Richard Ashcroft. Wrote it's crazy when you think of how many songs as well have the same chords, well, or the same melodies through them. It's like there's only so many. <laughs> well, I, you know, obviously, as you, you and I both love music, so um, a lot of songs you listen to them and you think, oh, I can hear mm. that song in mm. that or that song in that. And I guess what what the case is with a lot of artists, it's not so much that they mind; it's if the people do it without asking them. Mm. Yeah, I suppose if they so blatantly do it with like the same words or the same melody, which is exactly the same. But I don't think it's the words, is it? I think. Um, and the, well, the melody, I, I don't understand how, how, how I can do that because it's obviously in a different context, a different song. But what's very it's, interesting, I mean, we're, we're in a music debate here, but <laughs> um, so for those of you um, who who um, got nothing better to do today, or uh, five minutes to kill on a Saturday morning rather than clean the windows or something. Uh, what's, what's very interesting about the Rolling Stones story is so uh, the Rolling Stones successfully sued the Verve, notably Richard Ashcroft, as the writer of the song for plagiarising their chords or whatever it was mm. from one of their, I can't remember the song itself, in, 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 in their massive hit, Bittersweet Symphony. Uh, I don't know whether uh, uh, 
Taylor Taylor, or his name is Courtney Taylor Taylor, one of my favourite people, the lead singer of Dandy Warhols, uh, learned from this experience. But if you listen to um, Bohemian Like You, I mean, it's brown sugar. Mm. Isn't it? Mm. I mean, every time I listen, I think, God, that's brown sugar. How the hell did he get away with that? So what he must have done, he must have looked at the chord construction of brown sugar and then he's played around with it. Mm. So when you listen to Bohemian different. Like You, you've got that, hey, this is brown sugar, but it isn't. Mm. So the Stones must have been furious. I, I, I'll let you into a little thing now. I don't know how it happened. I used to work for a company, and um, my my job was actually to, to copy um, backing tracks. Um, uh, co- copy copy tracks yeah. and make them into backing tracks, and they'd use them for karaoke and things like that. But because yeah. it was done... With in a, it with it was the same chords, same song, same words, everything like that. But it was just said in the style of, and that's how they would get away with around like doing doing the backing tracks around the copyright. And mm. I don't know how that works because that was a complete like copy of it. Mm. But it's um it's funny that like, sometimes like yeah these companies can can copy um, and use it for their own um, uh, you know like like backing tracks for karaoke and um, and okay. don't have to consult the artist so. It's, uh, so anyway, so sorry about that. So I rather deviated there, but I thought mm. I like it. So, you know, it's nice to have a nice relevant uh, couple of stories there that are real. Mm. Um, patents are um, so. I, 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 I mean, probably where we should have started with this is intellectual property uh, as a subject matter is very badly understood mm-hmm. by business across the world. I would say it's not. If you said to the average person, "What's intellectual property?" I think they'd look pretty blankly at you. Mm. Um, if you asked if you asked a business owner what his intellectual property was, I'm not sure you'd get the best answer in the world. But um, I mean, to some extent, the intellectual property of the business is, you know, is, is, is even the life force of the business, isn't it? Everything mm-hmm. about it, you know, the thing about Aspen Ways or whatever that makes it different to ABC Co. You know, it's so it's all how, that, how you represent that the whole culture and the brand. And what's very interesting is. Um, I might be yes. Yeah, so I'm probably getting ahead of myself there. So I go. On. So um, now, in terms of protecting intellectual property, I mean, obviously, you've got to, you've got to create it in the first place. So, mm. um, firstly, there has to be a clear understanding that you are creating intellectual property. I mean, interestingly, I reckon that we act for, I would think, at least fifty companies who have intellectual property that could be protected that aren't. Mm-hmm. And that would be because they don't know how to, or perhaps don't even realise they could, mm. or how to. I think the other perception would be cost. So I think probably, I think most people, if you said um, you wanted to register an international patent, you'd probably think, gosh, that's going to cost an arm and a leg. Mm. But realistically, in year one, you might be looking at five grand, mm. which is not the end of the world and so would you say the actual benefit to protecting your intellectual property would be so people don't copy it is that um, one of the main is that one of the main or is there other benefits to um, protecting your intellectual that's a good question uh, I was thinking, mm-hmm. I was thinking, thinking carefully I was, it's very tempting to say yes but that's not quite the whole answer is it mm. so um, people protect their intellectual property for defensive reasons, mm-hmm. um, naturally. So, uh, the, I mean, the other the other thing which um, I'm very interested in, and which I've got into quite a lot intellectually over the last two years, is is actually more the side of um, 
exploiting the value of the intellectual property. Mm, mm. So obviously, if you create a patent, it's a a, a, a record of your intellectual property. It's something real that yeah. um, has been put onto paper and therefore has created something. So that uh, has a value. Yes. Yeah, so, oh, definitely. Yeah. In mm. fact, um, uh, our good friends at Collar IP, for instance. Um, specialise in doing intellectual property valuations. Oh, okay. Which you could even borrow money against. Oh, wow. So, um, so when they're done officially like that, you can use it to help yeah, the Yeah, I, mean, or... I mean, it's very interesting, really. I mean, when you, um, traditionally, um, obviously I'm an expert valuer apart from anything else, and traditionally um, valuers, especially accountants, tend to base um, corporate values on things that you can touch. Mm-hmm. So the accountants are obsessed with, you know, the diggers and the machines and all that. Uh, they have, because we're accountants, we sort of understand that, you know, value comes from profit streams and accountants like annuities, you know, uh, what an annuity is, it's a sort of like, it was like a guaranteed future projection of, you know, it's like creating an income stream that you know is going to keep going for a while. Mm-hmm. That therefore that that has a value. Mm-hmm. If any business can create an annuity stream, then it's got a value. So traditionally, what an accountant would do, they'd say, "Oh, we've got a hundred diggers. <laughs> Those diggers are worth a million pounds, and you make you make X profit per annum. Uh, so you, you've got this thing called goodwill, which obviously is an intangible asset. Um, what is that worth? And then there'd be a big debate depending on uh, how dull the accountant was about." <laughs> exactly what the goodwill was worth and that that would be what they would decide uh, that the business was worth um, I met a guy called Harry Hellier hello Harry if you're listening to this um, a while ago very interesting because um, his his heart if you like and his his um, passion lies with what you'd call the soft business assets which is right. another way of describing intangible assets okay so he's interested in things like the value of the workforce, the value mm, of the contracts, mm. yeah, the brand stuff. And so once you've valued that, you you can if it's if it's say valued officially, and you've got like a uh, is that is that how you would um, kind of um, that that that's how you get like an official value that you could use against the business or like as, as like for the business because obviously it's the, that kind of thing. It, it just makes me think that. That's just an idea. Like, how would you prove it, or prove what? How, how how could you use it to say help you get a loan or something like that against your business? You know, um, those kind of valuations. Well, I mean, normally, normally you wouldn't. So oh. you know, you said official value. That's um, a very a very quaint uh, observation, mm. but it's not really what happens in the real world. Mm. So again, with accountants and accountancy convention, uh, pretty much the rule is unless you've bought something, you can't put a value down. Mm. Because it makes me think, what would be the point in valuing those things if you can't use that value to help you? The point of valuing those things is when you want to sell your business, that's what the value is. Ah, okay. So it's if you're selling your business. There's a difference between what you can do on your balance sheet today and me saying to you, I've invented this didgeridoo. (laughs) Uh, You know, my balance sheet's a million pounds, but I want five million pounds for it because you're ah, going to make loads of squillions out of my didgeridoo in the future, Mm, Mr. Armstrong, mm. you know? So it's more for if you're selling your business or... Um... I think um, it's interesting, this, without giving away too many trade secrets, which I'm probably going to. Um, um, so there, there, are, there are lots of reasons why you might um, register a patent. Uh, 
I certainly, personally, I, I very much like um, the intellectual focus of actually going about it in the first place. All right. What I mean by that is I think as a professional advisor, if I was asked to come down on one side or the other, I would say rarely would it not be a good idea to register the patent. Now, whether you see it all the way through or not, that's a different point. Why am I saying that? Well, for a start, uh, even applying for a patent obviously forces you to some extent to write down exactly what all your intellectual property is. It makes it a focus. Um, you can then tell the world you've you've applied for a patent. So it's, it's a bit of a marketing thing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It creates, it creates a situation of... Um, of uh, brand differentiation, being able to promote yourself, etc. Uh, the other thing I particularly like, obviously, as someone uh, uh, highly skilled in the field of R and D tax credits, is um, just just the existence, uh, the a mere sniff of a patent, is incredibly helpful to an R and D technical report. Mm. And you put patent applied for or patent on the front of a R and D technical report, I would suggest the revenue would almost certainly just let it go. Mm. You know, because it's you can't get much more evidence of R and D than having a patent. Yeah, because a, a patent is for like an. So tell me, just interest, what, what, what does a patent have to do to, to, to actually get registered? Oh, I have, I have no idea. Pro- prove that it's I don't mean, a I don't, new design, a new. Uh, well, so, yeah, so uh, so what happens is is so, so so what happens is when you apply for a patent, um, you go through a patent attorney, mm-hmm. patent agent, skilled people, um, and uh, the patent agent. Uh, will say, for instance, you know, um, say you invent a new guitar. Say, can, can we just um, for, for a patent, it would be uh, something like more like a machine or an in, an invention. It, you say you couldn't patent like a jingle. So if people are thinking about their intellectual property and they're thinking songs or jingles or no, that you so so it'd have to be like a like a a physical like an invention or. Um, like what or a process, what, yeah, yeah, or a process. <laughs> so it's an invention or a process. They're the kind of they're the kind of intellectual properties that you can patent. Well, I think I think it's probably always an invention because it's it's got it's got to be unique, isn't it? Mm. In order to qualify as a patent, it has to be different to anything else that's been done. Yeah. So going back to your like you inventing a guitar, so you've invented this new guitar. Uh, doesn't matter why it's different, and uh, you would basically sit down with a patent attorney and say <coughs> it's different because um, I don't know the strings are made out of chewing gum and um, <laughs> you know and I've, I've got this um, amazing uh, thing on the right hand side that makes it ten times louder than anybody else can do or something you know yeah. and um, and what the patent attorney would then do he does what's called a patent search so he looks all across the world for anything in that sector, so he probably put in guitars or whatever, mm-hmm. and then he would literally read all the patents that he wow. thought might conflict with yours, mm. and then he'd look to see whether there were any. And normally, what patent attorneys do, they come back and they say, "There's four patents out there you probably need to know about." Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean to say he's saying you can't do it, but you know, yeah. And in some cases, you know, it'll say, "Well, actually, I think this will fail. Mm. This will fail because." Um, you know, Schreiber of Germany in 1983 uh, successfully patented something. Because what's interesting about a patent is you don't have to be able to prove you did it yourself. So if I, if I, for instance, had this brilliant idea 
of how a helicopter could work. I don't actually have to prove the helicopter can fly. Hmm. I could write down a, 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 yeah, a, a process of the yeah. helicopter or whatever. Um, and if that was different to anything else, then in theory it would get registered. Oh, okay. So you don't have to... It doesn't have to work as... I don't have to prove it works. Oh, okay. You just have to... You know, it's just to prove that it's a completely different idea yeah. than what's that out there. Oh, wow. <clears throat> and and the, and the time, would that be something that, that would, would maybe put people off for uh, um, patents as well? Because, it, well, I just saw it was like, allow, allow for five years for the application, which is like, it seems like a really long time to, to kind of wait for a, um, for it to be processed. Yeah, but it doesn't mean to say you've got to stop, does it? Is that, mm. what, is that what you're saying that? Uh, just that it might be something that would put people off trying to patent so it's why would it put you off just because it takes so long so what mm. no, what, I'm, what I'm getting at is do you think that for instance taking your guitar mm-hmm. do you think that because it's going to take five years that you can't sell your guitar in the meantime or something mm. is that what you think what the benefits that you would use the patent for you wouldn't be getting so quickly say if it was against like an R&D claim or, or it was it was helping back up an R&D claim or, or um... well no next is, uh, the, the, the minute that you apply for the patent the R&D claim is is enhanced isn't it ah ok yeah so you just have to you start the process it doesn't have to be... dear Mr. Yellow Revenue <laughs> uh, this is the stage of my patents at please yeah. you know um and the, 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 the whole point about the way the system works is um, the protection gets sort of backdated. Mm. So if you filed your patent application on the 1st of June 2019, the fact that it didn't, didn't get granted until February the 13th, 2024, doesn't mean to say you're not protected in the meantime. Mm. Oh, okay. That's good. So I don't think... You know, I think people would accept there's a process, but if you think about it, when you think about how many countries there are in the world, mm. um, it's got to be. And of course, one of the other decisions is oh, because it's a world thing. Well, it can be. Wow. Which is going to come on to next. Mm. Um, so, of course, one of the decisions, if one decides to file a patent, is what territories you want protection in. Mm. Uh, there's something called a PCT, which is Patent Cooperation Treaty, which is. Uh, a treaty between most of the Western countries in the world. So that means, for instance, you know, if you, if you have a, if you have a PCT, then um, you get protection in all those areas. But you wouldn't get protection, for instance, in China. Mm. Would be a, a a very good example. So the Chinese are very good at um, stealing other people's ideas, <laughs> um, and that's why I'm very excited about one of the things that we're doing because we have our own dedicated company called Aspenweight China UK that's hot off the press by the way it's only been Aspenweight China UK for a bit now mm-hmm. um, and one of the things that um, I'm very keen to do is to take great international companies into China and, and make them safe by going about business the Chinese way Okay. and that really means finding um, a Chinese partner and to some extent going native mm-hmm. Chinese don't like western corporations going into China trying to sell uh, as the Western Corporation straight direct into the Chinese market. Mm. So they, they, they would much prefer it if you find, you know, a Chinese company to work with. Mm. So uh, being a sort of pragmatic, realistic sort of fellow, you know, I'm very happy about that. As China is obviously the biggest market in the world, um, then, you know, the way I tend to look at it is if you can do business in China, which we can, then that's a great benefit to many to many um, companies. Mm. 
So, so these um, the, these protections, it, the, so that would um, change how long the process is, or how much it's going to cost. If you want, if you want, if you want. Oh yeah, so if you wanted protection in every country in the world, it's going to yeah. cost you an awful lot more than. Mm. So you can just file a patent in the UK. Mm. Yeah, just for the. Or UK you can have market. a European patent. Oh, okay, um, and say other things like um, like trademarks. Mm-hmm. That's a. Uh, what what would be the the benefit of say doing a trademark <laughs> rather than like because copyright because copyright is something that you don't have to pay for as yeah. such it's just what you get but is it like extra protection? <laughs> well, obviously, it gives you control over the name. Mm, mm. I think it's um, yes, yeah, it's, it's all to do with branding again, isn't it? Mm. And um, positioning and um, you know, if uh, you put Coca Cola TM, yeah. This is what people do, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Put TM next to it. Um, so it's sort of enhancing your your mark, isn't it? Mm. That's what I would say. And, um, and and like, is it a way of like monetizing your your brand or your designs? But like, how is it monetizing it? Well, I could think like you could sell you could sell. Those, oh yeah. Um, well, that's, that comes back to intellectual property again, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. So you, it makes that intellectual property sellable. So so like, so if, if you trade market. Coca-Cola would have a value of million billions of pounds, wouldn't mm, it? Mm. Coca-Cola is an established brand, uh, recognised probably in every country in the world, and it's protected by a trademark. Mm. And I suspect the, um, I don't know, uh, the Coca-Cola process itself is probably patented. Mm. I know it's a secret recipe. Mm. And like, um, and I can imagine things like, <coughs> like it, franchising, it makes you able to like franchise your brand, um, well, which is... What? Because you? Because um, it's patented? No, not patented. Sorry, it's because it's because it's trademarked or it's it's protected intellectual property. You can then sell that intellectual property as a franchise, or um, well, franchising is is just one way of exploiting the value of your brand, isn't it? Mm, mm. That's how I would look at it. Yeah, that's oh, good because I can imagine getting if you want to get into kind of trade overseas or. Uh, things like that, then you can you you can sell your brand or uh, allow it to be used. So it kind of gets you into the international market. Does by, it? By by kind of yeah, <laughs> choosing who you can who you sell your intellectual property to. But if you sell your intellectual property, then you you haven't got a brand anymore, have you? No, not sell it. Like rent it. <laughs> no, that's why I use my words. So someone that has intellectual property. If they don't want to sell, then normally what they want to do is to maximise the value of that brand, don't they, mm-hmm. or their intellectual property. Uh, so, for instance, I had uh, a really great meeting yesterday with Wolfpack Lager. Right. Um, great rugby players, uh, Alistair Hargreaves, Chris Wiles, uh, Scott Campbell, uh, Jim Hamilton, etc. And the major discussion there was um, what was going to be the strategy to maximize the value of the Wolfpack brand mm-hmm. we had a discussion so um, Alistair and Chris in particular are very keen on having a series of pubs obviously which are quite capital intensive um, whereas I was sort of playing devil's advocate and saying well why wouldn't it's just a numbers game mm. I kept saying that, I said that about five times in the meeting it's a numbers game isn't it so if I could if I could show you how to go from having 21 pubs that sell your beer 
to 210 pubs that sold a beer, why would you want to have 10 pubs mm. of your own? Mm. Do you see what I mean? Now, of course, there are reasons why you'd want to have a pub of your own, which I wasn't... I wasn't playing devil's advocate and to some extent trying to get them to focus mm. on strategy, if you see what I mean. Mm. So as we always do, listeners, we always come back to the magic word of depends. Mm -hmm. Every single business is different and every situation should be looked at in its uniqueness uh, and it's a function of the people, the owners, the, the, the directors' attitudes to risk or are their aspirations. So um, most people, funny enough, I talked to one of my longest-standing, the reason I was 10 minutes in the car park, talking to one of my longest standing customers on the phone this morning who reiterated once again his strong desire to sell his company mm. he wants out mm. uh, I went to a ball last Friday with um, my very good friend Gwenda Marsh uh, Nostar <laughs> uh, and um, she was baffled by she's like saying well, if someone came along tomorrow and offered you £10 million you'd go wouldn't you and I said no mm. And she's like going, 20, 30, 40, 50. And I go, no, you're not listening, Gwen. You know, I'm not driven by money. Mm, mm. Uh, so in my case, uh, it's probably more to do with legacy. Mm. Yeah. So um, my attitude to developing the Aspen White brand is different to, say, Gwenda's or uh, the client I was talk talking to earlier, <coughs> who, um, you know, was put in... I don't know how many years it is, 15 years of really hard graft. And he's looking for his £10 million payday. Mm. So, um, you know, there are obviously a, a, a very significant number of options that people have when they're looking to maximise value. You, know, you mentioned franchising. You know, franchising used to be really popular. I think it's become less so. I think it's quite an interesting option, but I think there are... There are probably um, ways of achieving something similar, perhaps in a better way, maybe. Okay. How, how would that be? Well, so you look at what I've done. I've found... So it's, uh, this is my analogy, okay? It's another poor, another poor, poor weight analogy mm -hmm. on Friday the 10th of May. <laughs> uh, so if you uh, fancifully imagined I was Robin Hood, more like Robin Hood eating fire tax pies, but anyway... Um, <laughs> Uh, Robin Hood Robin Hood passed his sell by date wandering <laughs> through the land still though with his merry band of men uh, and of course as we go across the land we attract like minded people so let's take Mark, Mark Carey as a good example so we have Mark Carey in, in Kent who and, uh, and uh, two people I think are the, you know, the personification of Aspen Waite uh, other than myself I'd say Darren Tolbert in Wales and Mark Carey in Kent uh, so I picked two people, you know, very geographically apart, but in their hearts they're the same. So what's happened there is Mark Kerry didn't exist a year. Well, he did exist to himself, of course, because otherwise he would be dead and he wouldn't, uh, you know, wouldn't have a wife and all that. But um, <laughs> in, in, the, in the world of Aspen Waite, Mark Kerry was not part of Aspen Waite a year ago. He's very much part of Aspen Waite now. And through collaborating, working to mutual benefit with Mark Kerry, um, Aspen Waite is the better for it, isn't it? Because mm. Aspen Waite now has a presence in a region it didn't have before. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm not had to franchise that. So, or, so, it's, so it's collaborating rather than yeah, franchising? Yeah, I, I think that's the smartest way of doing it. I think yeah. okay. finding other people that you can get along with that share your mm. beliefs mm. is a very good way to grow. Mm. Yeah. 
Cause it's My number like, one tip. Yeah. Because it seems like it's doing it from other angles. Like you're, you're getting growth, but then you're helping each other as well. And it's like a, there's a lot more pluses to just franchising. You can use that. That's it. You can yeah. use this brand and that's it well a lot of it is obviously you know to some extent the hardest bit is um, you know which is what we, we sort of started with the bang because the hardest bit is actually deciding who you are in the first place that's mm-hmm. so the whole process of, of starting the intellectual property journey is the hardest bit mm. you know what do I stand for what are my values yeah what is my legacy you know all those which is things. what you said about it's good um, to do a patent because it makes you really get into that thought process of what is my intellectual property and, and, and write it all down or um, think about these things well it's interesting you know I had a fantastic meeting with a very large company that I greatly respect this week and um, well, these are incredibly professional people you know incredibly good at what they do um, and I think yeah, there were a couple of people there that were marginally cynical, shall we say. But I think most people, um, when we finished our meeting, realised, to some extent, that they were involved in some degree of R&D almost on a daily basis, which mm-hmm. they hadn't really ever thought about before. And then, of course, you know, the next stage to that is... Um, so I remember one part of the meeting, uh, one, of the, one of the directors was saying that you know they d- developed expertise over a large number of years and there was a particular contract they were working on now that the sort of uh, the ability to do that contract to the level they that they can uh, originated from work they had done several years ago mm-hmm. so if you like you could say that the intellectual property was born several years ago and they are now feeding on that intellectual property to work today, aren't they? Mm. But they don't realise it. They're doing it in a day. We do it. It's like, you know, it's our job attitude. Do you know what I mean? Mm. It's what we do. Mm. We say that to me all the time. Paul, Paul, that's what we do. <laughs> I say, I don't, give a care. I don't care what you do. I'm telling you what you're doing is intellectual property or whatever, you know? Mm. Mm. So that would be quite a good example. That's why I think, you know, there are so many, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of cases where people have intellectual property that they could develop. Mm. But they just don't know how to or and I, you know I'm very keen to do something about that so will that does that kind of bring us on to um, uh, happy IP happy IP IP happy IP happy IP <laughs> I might be PPY happy PPY I know I am because this is an endeavour with Aspen Weights and then a few different different companies that I believe specialise in um, in IP um, or valuation of IP and yeah so I mean um um, you know, I, 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 firstly, uh, uh, as the head of Aspenway, uh, you know, Aspenway's position generally is we consider ourselves to be the best firm of advisors in the country. I'm not saying that we are the complete article yet, and mm-hmm. it's not every single thing that someone would ask us to do that we are the best. So I think it's always very important to to be honest. But there are many areas where we are the best. Um, I certainly... Uh, I'm arrogant enough to believe that nobody could have behaved, performed at a higher level than I did in the Wolfpack meeting yesterday, mm. for instance. So in terms of being able to help these great people to maximising their values and exploit what they're doing, uh, I think they're in really great hands. And I, and I believe that with every fibre of my body, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, as you know, so our stall is to set out to be uh, generically... You know, a great firm of advisors. However, as a person and also as a firm, we have a real expertise in the innovation sp- innovation space, 
and um, and I think innovation is something which is incredibly rewarding and interesting. You know, I mean, you're you're like this. You know, you're a bit like me. You're like a sponge. You know, mm-hmm. um, you like to soak up knowledge and why is this? Why is that? You know, why does the sun go around that way? Or, <laughs> you know, why is all that helium ch- ch- chucking out at that rate or whatever? You know, I, I probably learn something nearly every day. I would say something. Mm-hmm. You know, something intellectually. I find that stimulating and very rewarding so we're really big in the innovation space so therefore it's a considering that we pioneered the complete business growth service which is obviously you know, so for instance I sat down yesterday and I said literally we can do anything and everything you ever want anyone to do mm-hmm. but obviously that's underpinned by what I call our respect culture what does that mean so for instance uh, I didn't know that Lauren exists so Alistair's sister is a lady called Lauren, um, uh, also from Durban in, in South Africa. And she's clearly, uh, she sat in our meeting and she filled me with confidence and she's clearly someone capable of being the chief financial officer. So I was able to say to them during the meeting, I came in today uh, expecting there to be a vacancy in that role and that we would have to do a lot of financial stuff that we're not going to have to. Mm. So actually, so I said, well, all I need to do, Lauren, is be your mate. Mm. Just be someone you can talk to. I don't need, so I don't need to originate the information. I just need to help you produce it. Mm, mm. So, um, because we operate the, the complete business growth service, clearly, um, anything we can do more than we can do now is something I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. I would say. So, obviously, I've just talked a lot about intellectual property. So, clearly, therefore, um, the exploitation, recognition, development of intellectual property is something I'm very keen to do. Uh, and we, you know, we're working with uh, wonderfully brilliant people in Collar IP. Um, we had a presentation uh, last week uh, that Alex Tame uh, was present at, and he he presented um, on behalf of Collar. And um, I was in, I was as as, a, as I was like to think a pretty good presenter myself. I was actually awestruck by his performance, which mm. was. What did I call him? Effort- effortlessly brilliant, he was. Wow. He was as laid back as you. Mm-hmm. So on the face of it, it was like looking at someone who didn't give the monkeys. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like, oh, well, I don't want to be a baby, but it's nice, you know. And then what came out of his mouth was like, oh. Wow. Mm. You know, and when he finished, I said to him, and I meant it, I said, that's the best presentation I've heard in the last 10 years. And then that's oh, wow. how, good, how good he was. And that wasn't just me saying that, but everyone in the room was just totally struck. And what you had there is a bit like um, uh, John Holder, my coach, said to me uh, in my coaching session two Saturdays ago. He said, Waity, you know, you're now like Usain Bolt on the blocks. You know you're faster than all the others. All you've got to do is run your race. Mm-hmm. And I think Alex has got to that standard as well. And hence my, I think the, the most important word I used was effortlessly. So we've got partners in Coder IP that um, uh, are world leaders and uh, we are together going to recognise and exploit all those intellectual properties not just the people who know they're doing it but all those who don't know they're doing it Mm. what's a really interesting space though going on from that is to some extent and I'd say you know probably 90% perhaps of our customers think that R&D tax credits are something like too good to be true some sort of Christmas present or something, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so, so if one holds with that, which is which is true, then the existence of grants, you know, whether they be uh, UK or European grants, I think is um, even more of a mystery to people. You know, <laughs> so if they think an R and D tax credit is a Christmas present, then getting half a million euros is bonkers. You know, <laughs> and certainly, you know, and, and, and you know, I think it's, as I say, it's always best to be honest. You know, I'm not a reactive type of fellow you know I get out a lot and over the 25 years and 8 months of Aspen Waits life um, I have never come across a reliable service provider of grants okay or ever been persuaded that actually it's a real process or it's something that is easily accessible to the majority shall we say mm, mm. And so uh, when I came across Cresco Innovation, um, which uh, was a lead-in through David Shears, thanks, Dave. Mm-hmm. It's called Dutch Dave, shouldn't we, really? Dave Dutch or something. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that very quickly led to discussions and meetings, and um, Joe and her team are extremely like-minded. Uh, ironically, which happens a lot in our life, we've got... Um, uh, a, a tie-in through Joe's historic association with Professor Harry Thomason, who is uh, perhaps the intellectual, educational spark and genius behind China UK, mm. our Chinese company. So, um, you know, one of the things at the moment, it's very much a case, of, it seems, of dotting the I's and crossing the T's on things that are already done. Mm. So, so um, he's specialising um, in, 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 in helping companies apply for grants. Yeah, so Cresco, um write bids, tender bids for clients to apply for um, either what's called Innovate UK grants or EU grants. Um, so obviously Innovate UK is the, gov- the UK government's um, process. Uh, and Cresco have a success rate, you know, way, way over the national average. Mm. And... Um, and obviously as well, you know, what's really important is you've got to get on with people, haven't you? You've got to get on with them and the ideology's got to fit and, and it's perfect. So um, it wasn't difficult to sit down with Joe and say, right, you know, we've got to, we've got to hitch our wagons up together. Mm. Which yeah, can... so you've got in, in, innovation, uh, IP, intellectual property, uh, which shows innovation, grants, because um, I'm guessing you need to prove your innovation to, to get the grant, and R and D tax credits, which uh, which we specialise in, which is all of those things as well, you know. So. No, it's, it's, it's just it's... A, a wonderful um, um, mixture. So, um, I don't, all of this. So, one of my one of my look, you look this up later. It's my, one of my favourite um, uh, sayings at the moment is serendipitous synchronicity. So, <laughs> through serendipitous synchronicity, uh, running running concurrent with the uh, Cresco discussions uh, my my main chums at Collar IP uh, decided that they wanted to um, cuddle up to the weighty ship uh, a bit more than they had been and we had a um, couple of really good telephone conversations and then a fantastic face to face meeting where once again you know uh, the face to face meeting just proved the power of communication and what comes out you know so a lot of what Lawrence Bickers said who's an extremely impressive individual by the way um, was not what I was expecting probably 75% of what he said was news to me you know mm. 
And um, Lawrence had mentioned on the phone the week before, he said, you know, what we need to do is something like an intellectual property supermarket. Mm-hmm. And no disrespect, Lawrence, uh, I understood what he meant by that, and I immediately recoiled mm-hmm. against the word supermarket, <laughs> which to me is sort of cheap and not where I wanted to be. So obviously, you know, the way my brain works, which I, well, nobody knows how it works, really, but the way my brain works... Um, Obviously, you know, Paul's brain sitting there going, IP supermarket, don't like that, you know. And um, Jono and I had a great meeting with Lawrence and uh, Alex. And um, I found Lawrence very interesting insofar as, well, while he was talking, uh, I found, because a lot of it was because it's so intelligent and reasoned analysis, I found my brain was responding to that mm. positively. Oh, okay. I kept coming up with ideas. I was mm. writing them down on my mm. iPad. And then, it wasn't too long into the meeting, I suddenly had this idea about... Ha- I don't know why, where it come from or, or whatever. I suddenly had this idea about Happy IP. And I don't know where, how, how I got to it or why. Mm. Mm. So I wrote Happy IP down on my pad. And I looked at it and I... Mm. I, mm. <laughs> I showed it to John O and he went, yeah, that's good, boss man. <laughs> so, I, so I turned around to him and said, can I interrupt you? I said, I've just come up with what I think we should call this mm. I want to call it Happy IP uh, I don't know really how, how persuaded they were that it was great but <laughs> probably didn't want to upset me <laughs> so Happy IP was born in Didcot um, on that day and then of course um, me being like a kiddie that's in a sweetie shop that might run out of sweets so mm. I've got to get in there I'm, uh, I was all over Carly and Glenn you know as you know um, all over your your buddies mm. and you to come up with a brand you know uh, a manifestation of the brand I suppose and uh, this was a an amazingly rewarding collaborative exercise I don't know if mm-hmm. you would agree with that definitely especially yeah. what happened in the end uh, I came and sat down next to Ross by his desk Drew was there um, with Carly and also Liz Attio who played uh, quite a significant role I would suggest Um and what's really good about that is Liz is head of our payroll uh, uh, activity. Uh, but it's amazingly creative. Uh, and in fact, in a recent uh, test we all took, she came out as a visionary, mm. which quite staggered me. And um, we basically sat down with... Um, so I wanted uh, you know, to create something memorable uh, for Happy IP. Fortunately... Um, Carly had created this, I thought, wonderful uh, sort of, what would you call it, the IP thing? Uh, yeah, like uh, the way it looked, it was joined together, the I and the P. Yeah, like, so in, um, the look of the IP design, uh, design that's mm-hmm. probably the word. Um, one of the things I like to think I'm particularly good at, I'd, I'd say as good as anyone I've ever met, is at making decisions. Mm. So what what happens a lot, so take no dis- disrespect, Ross, Ross is the sort of person who produces 500 things and it's quite interesting the way he thinks so if you notice I was getting quite frustrated with him so mm-hmm. if you looked at the Keep if you changing, looked at changing. if you looked at the happy IP thing if you were although you know, this might not sound it if you think about the number of variables so you've got the size of the font the font mm-hmm. the end of it, the size of the words letters compared to each other for yeah. instance even how far the IP is from the ne- next letter. Yeah. Ha- ha- whether you do something, whether you well. do something above or below it. Yeah. 
whether you put it into something uh, do you actually um, do the you options a- are endless do you actually show happy with a Y or not yeah. like that. so what I'm very good at is I looked at the IP the Carly had done and I thought that is so brilliant that's got what I would call bank it yeah so what I mean by that is stop messing around with the IP Ross yeah that's just as good that as, as it is given. now yeah, that's yeah. as good as it's going to get whereas what Ross does is and, and you know you'll get to a point and you'll say Ross that's nearly right Mm. that's 85% right there's something not quite right about it and then he changes so let's say there were 50 variables he'll then go and change 33 of them <laughs> right so then what you're looking at is now different. can now be 53% right yeah so let's turn around and say right it's 85% right let's go 86 like I would yeah small 86, small. 87, 88 or whatever he, you know yeah. he, 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 he's like he wants so like Ross effing stop messing around <laughs> with it wasn't it you know <laughs> Yeah, and and that's um, and he's so uh, fast and and like proficient in the program. I think it's really good getting people together because you have all of those different aspects of what you're good at, and then that comes out in the design because you've got everyone collaborative working there. And that's what I thought it was a really good exercise because it was like you could you could feel everyone's minds going. You know no, what I mean? And like, <laughs> so anyway, so we now have this. I think a brilliant brand for um, Happy IP, which I'm really proud about, and. Um, and Happy IP is basically bringing uh, a total solution for innovators uh, right from uh, idea through to selling the business and everything wow. in between. So um, I think it's probably uh, the thing I'm most proud of of anything I've ever done. And certainly when we did our launch uh, in Cheltenham uh, a week ago on Wednesday, um, I think more than any idea I've ever presented to anyone, it's it was one of those things where... I thought I'd created something that was, say, 100 as an idea, uh, and he realised over the day that 100 was actually 143. Mm. Uh, and the amount of recognition of that by my peers was staggering. So I definitely would say um, everyone found it incredibly uplifting, and um, you know, it, 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 it's, it's, it's something which I think can genuinely be world-beating. So... Mm. I'm very proud to say on today's podcast that we have launched um, Happy IP, which I consider, by the way, to be my intellectual property, of my personal intellectual property, because it's my idea. Mm. So um, I've actually broke that in, um, when I did my original writing at the weekend of it, Mm. I put 15, Happy IP is the intellectual property of Paul Waite. Mm. And I'm benchmarking that now. Mm. Yeah, I'm doing that, so I'm saying to everyone, be under no illusion, this is my... Mm. my concept okay and do you mean um, with, with that because with IP you can have it um, that your business so we could trademark it. happy IP mm. or or you can own it personally like ah, but isn't that one of your questions yeah yeah can, can, who, can, who can own it so uh, again so you know um, probably um, it would be quite useful to have someone like David Shears we could have David Shears on the phone actually that would be mm. quite interesting wouldn't mm. it uh, David Shears is a is a very 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 knowledgeable about all things intellectual property. Uh, so I'll tell you my understanding, right, which I think is right. But uh, most yeah, so inventions can be personal or corporate. Mm-hmm. So Drew Armstrong can invent something, uh, and Aspen Weight Limited can invent something. Uh, I believe that if a corporate body owns something, then. Uh, the individual or individuals that invented it are then recognised as the inventors. Mm. 
Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So Aspel Bake Limited owns the patent and the inventors are Paul Waite and Drew Armstrong, okay. which gives us some degree of right and some ability ourselves to earn from that invention. Okay? Mm-hmm. So um, so that's the answer, really. Uh, you know, and as, as, as to what one would do depends, obviously, on the circumstances, doesn't it? Depends. Mm-hmm. Uh, quite ordinary, if we're going to do justice to the subject, uh, I would strongly suggest that any business owner that has what I call sexy assets... Oh. <laughs> Sexy assets just mean things that are worth something, you know, things yeah. you want to protect. So could be, you know, buildings or um, leases or patents or yeah, maybe diggers. Mm-hmm. Um, you stick them in a holding company uh, and you have a separate operating company. That does the ah, I think we'll get onto that next week, which I'd like to talk about uh, to company structures. You're going to talk to me next week, mate, because I'm going to be in... Oh, I would say Una Paluma Blanca. Patagonia. I mean, Una Paluma Paphos. <laughs> Where in, in Greece? Cyprus. Cyprus, nice. Yeah. Ah. Fifth time I've been to Cyprus, I think. Ooh, that'd be nice then. Mm-hmm. Okay, but that's going to be a future episode, I think. Is it? Yeah, corporate structure. It's relevant to today, anyway. Yeah, it is. Mm. Mm. But we'll go deeper into that in there. So, um, yeah, one of the things that's interesting, actually, because going back to the Harry Hellier thing, and, and, and also uh, my great chum, Monica Stukova, the legend that is, um, Monica's quite, if you don't mind me saying this, Monica, quite old-fashioned in some respects, very well-educated, and uh, I think sort of represents the personification of traditional valuation. Harry Hellier is like, Radical in comparison to so Harry's talking about, as I say, the soft business assets, all those things that mm-hmm. aren't necessarily, yeah, all those things that aren't normally shown on balance sheets and accountants don't properly recognise. Um, and I, I, what I what I did last year actually, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm I've got a, I was very motivated last week on the um, Happy IP launch to do this. Having spent some time with um, Harry and, and, and observed Monica's reaction, um, I can remember the first time we met Harry, Monica and I walking down the road in London, and Monica sort of said to me, why would anyone want to pay him to do that? Mm-hmm. You know? And I thought, well, I can see why they would. So, without being arrogant, I think one of the, one of the things I'm unusual at is I can be both academic and real. Does that mm. make sense? Mm. So, for instance, as an economist, I understand Keynesian theory and all that stuff, but I then apply it to the real world mm. in a very good way. Mm. So I would call me a crossover person. I can sit and have a meeting with an academic, and I can sit and have a meeting with a real-world person who isn't an academic. Yeah. Bridging the gap between Monica and Harry. <laughs> yeah, I think, that's, yeah I, I think so. And mm. So what I did, uh, and, and, and it's very sad, this, because this was written when I was in the most fabulous hotel in the world, pretty much, in um, Sicily, uh, I wrote a, a paper um, on uh, soft business valuation and and, it's, and and how it should be developed. And it was what I would call a crossover document. So it was linking Harry's methodology to Monica's methodology, mm. Paul Waite style. Mm. You know, I, I, really, I was really proud of it, actually. Mm. So one of the things I think I've now got to keep up, so I'm, I'm going to pick up that paper... And I'm going to develop it. Ah, nice. And I'm going to ideally come up with something quite unique. Mm. 
that's, that's the yeah concept, it's bringing up the power of collaboration again for me like, it's like connecting those dots and how you can join things together how it can be mutually beneficial for you and uh, and whoever's involved with the businesses and yeah, yeah, I think yeah, I think well, it's, I, 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 I'd actually say the single most important word actually is communication. Mm, mm. How about others? We got another one: communicative collaboration. Oh, that's a gold in a purposeful manner. Ah. Uh, leads to serendipitous synchronicity. Certainly not done nefariously. <laughs> yeah, we've been like that. That's interesting, actually. I know, I know, uh, uh, my, my my mental calf lord green will be foaming at the mouth when I say this. One of the things I like to do with Carly and Ross is to um, discuss words that they don't know. And I sent them an email last night, and the word for today is Seneschal. Seneschal. S-E-N-E-S-C-H. Is that an archaic word? I don't don't know how old it is. Mm. You can look it up when you get into the office. So anyway, so I'm expecting Ross and Carly to tell me what Seneschal means when I get in in a minute. Seneschal. That's awesome. That's, I think this is, yeah, from my point of view, it's been an extremely uh, interesting uh, podcast. Mm. I think we can um, we can do something really special off the back of this. So I think we ought to develop um, some really good IP content to put on the website and um, make available to listeners. Yeah. Um, and I would urge anyone listening to this uh, to, to pass on the message to, um, to your pals because... Um, I think we all, you know, I think most people, to be fair, most business owners work very hard and they care. And um, sometimes all we need is not to be a best kept secret and for other people to help us show, to show us the way to access um, perhaps very real nuggets of gold we have already mined for ourselves, but we don't know they're there. Mm. You know, that's what we want to do. So would you say a message out to any any company that um, would describe themselves as innovative uh, they could benefit for, in many in many ways from from IP to R and D. It could all. Oh, it could ju- it's just a no brainer. Yeah. So total get in contact no, if. Um, total no brainer. Please let's have a rainstorm of clients. <laughs> and awesome. you know we'll talk to you, we'll give you um, you know uh, quite a lot of free advice before you're committed to anything. Um, and with us, you know, we're good friends, and you know, with me, it's very much what I call a life's bargain. You know, it's. it's it's actually daring to trust, mm. you know. So my view is that I'll help you, uh, and over the lifetime of our relationship, I expect it to be fair. Oh yeah, you're oh, in yeah. good hands. <laughs> so is that the end of our um, intellectual property session? I think it is. Uh, yes. Um, so this week's song um, is by the editors, who are um, uh, a great band. Uh, I, I think probably quite consistent with uh, the BRMC song we played uh, two weeks ago I think it was mm. this is another um, bass heavy driven one isn't it yeah although a bit more poppy I think mm. um, got some I know Carly bass. loves the editors as does my dear wife um, so um, we're going to play out today with Sugar by the editors um, which is a really great track and if you don't know they, they, I think you know they're pretty close to being the best band there is actually and mm. I think they're, I've, I've sort of been um, one of the things I, I do on Saturday and Sunday mornings quite often is I go and you know, find bands and then start listening to their catalogue. Mm. So there are probably at least 10 editor songs that stand up to the highest scrutiny, in my opinion. Nice. So enjoy, Mr. Armstrong. Mm. Yes, enjoy, listeners. Have a boogie to this one. Boogie. A boogie woogie. <laughs> and if you're driving, don't boogie too much. <laughs> and we will see you next time.